With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Well, welcome to this edition of Wealth Psychology with Emily and Dr. Jamie. I'm Emily Bouchard coming to you from Northern California, and we are ecstatic today to be able to have a very important conversation that every woman tuning in has an opinion about, has a lot of feelings about. And not only that, we have two phenomenal women on this show to really weigh in from their personal perspectives and their professional perspectives. What we're talking about today is something that Angelina Jolie brought to the world's attention last week when she let everybody know that she had a double mastectomy prophylactically when she found out that she had an over 80% chance of possibly getting breast cancer. So we have today my co-host, tuning in from Israel, who has not been with us for a while because she's going through treatment for breast cancer at this very time. In fact, Jamie, I think you had radiation treatment today. Is that correct? Not only today, but I just got home from the radiation treatment about two minutes ago. So, Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so thrilled you were able to join us. Jamie Traeger-Muni is a uh, wealth psychologist, Ph.D., who founded WealthLegacyGroup.net in 2005, and her whole purpose is to support people in leading a truly rich life. And I have the honor of being the managing partner of this company, and we are committed with this show to do whatever we can to allow people to really thrive and flourish in their lives, no matter what level of money they have in their bank account, and tapping into what true wealth is. And our guest today is somebody who is quite phenomenal. She's a personal friend, colleague, and inspiration to me. And um, she will be joining us shortly. Um, I think she ended up dropping off, just, but I'm going to just let everybody know who she is. Um, her name is Karen Solomon, and she has a website called about breast cancer navigation. She has gone through a double mastectomy herself. She had to go through treatment for two diagnoses of breast cancer, and she is also a talented image consultant and has a body of work entitled Sex, Money, and Relationships. And she really knows and understands intimately and professionally how body image and self-esteem impact all different facets of our lives and especially around such a significant decision as whether or not to keep or have our breasts removed. And we as women are so identified with um, who we are femininely, um, who we are identified in the culture in terms of our bodies and uh, our image internally and externally. And so this show is going to be approaching this topic from a number of different vantage points. And Karen, you are on the line, is that correct? Yeah, I'm back. I got, I got dropped for some reason, but I'm back. Yep. Well, welcome. I was just introducing you and letting people know a little bit about you. Thank you so much for being here. And um, wanted to just start by, Jamie, would you give us um, just a moment of check-in around how you're doing and what it was like. This is your first radiation treatment, so we're just launching into a really, really important topic that is that's right front and center for you. And then, Karen, we're going to be asking you to weigh in about your experiences before we dive into this conversation. Sure. 
Thank Thank you, Emily. So delighted to be on the show again. I've missed it. And Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I was diagnosed about six months ago at the end of October and um, really had no warning about it and actually found a lump in my armpit, swollen lymph nodes that hadn't gone away for a couple months and went to the doctor and then went and had a mammogram and ultrasound. They said, nope, your breasts are clear, but since you've had three months of swollen lymph nodes, we're going to biopsy it. It's just a regular thing. I'm sure it's fine. And in the end, it turned out to be that those lymph nodes came back as cancerous and malignant. And then they searched and searched and searched, and finally through um, an MRI, were able to find the the tumor. Um, I then had a lumpectomy at the end of November and started um, chemo. I did um, four months of chemo and then had a month to rest. I've been extremely tired and I'm just starting, as Emily said, radiation, which will be every day for five five days a week for five weeks. Um, And it is, um, in some ways, it's been easier than I anticipated and, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody um, and think, you know, if somebody said to me, I had an 87% chance of um, getting cancer and going through this, um, or if I had a double mastectomy, mastectomy, I could have a 5% chance, um, those were those were bets that I would, would take. So, um, you know, I'm also um, very delighted that Angelina Jolie chose to be public about it and that the conversation can rise to a new level just as Betty Ford brought it to a new level many years ago when she was open about her breast cancer. So now women don't have to feel shame around having breast cancer and now we can start talking about some of the more radical treatments for it. Well, great. I want to let you all know that um, we haven't even announced how people can join in the conversation, and we already have people that are ready to jump in. There's a lot of controversy around this decision. Jamie, thank you for being here and weighing in about yours. Um, For people who are just tuning in, we're talking about uh, double mastectomy options prophylactically to try and do what you can to mitigate the risk of having breast cancer and the emotional impact of such a decision. And we really want to tap into how to make these decisions in the most rounded, effective, empowered way you can in your lives. And if you want to join the conversation, you can call in at 347-215-6138. And Karen Solomon is our guest. And before we jump to our listeners, I want to give Karen a chance to weigh in, say a little bit about, Karen, your personal experience with breast cancer and then also... Um, your work in this field so people understand who they're speaking to when we have these conversations with our broader audience. Thank you. Good morning, Emily, and hi, Jamie. And Jamie, I'm sorry to be welcoming you to a club. The good news is we're living and we're able to survive this. And I will talk more about, um, you know, people doing what they can to prevent having it later. But yeah, my story was that I'd had very dense breast tissue. So I'd had a couple of benign surgical biopsies done in the 90s and was being checked regularly every six months. And then in between one of those six-month periods at one point in late 2005, I found a lump and it was in my upper chest. And it was like a garbanzo bean and it came out of nowhere. And my husband agreed, no, that wasn't here before. And we had it, um, I had a needle biopsied first and we found that it was a malignancy and so we had, I had a lumpectomy. It was small they got they got it all with a good margin, and they removed lymph nodes with what's called a sentinel node biopsy, and there was no spread, which indicated no need to have chemo. So that was a good thing, but I did choose to do radiation like Jamie, you're beginning to undergo now. Then the following, let's see, radiation was well, spring of Karen, Karen, I have to interrupt you for a second because you pointed out something so important that I want every uh, person that's tuning in to hear which is your husband also identified it as not being there. I want to definitely make sure we, we loop back around to this and how to have your um, intimacy, your sexuality, also support your breast health. And I love the idea of having your partner be so tuned into your breast that they, he or she would notice that as well and maybe even notice it before you would. So that's really powerful. So please keep going with your story. But I want to bring that sure. forward because your work with sex, money, and relationships as well. 
Thank you. And I do want to mention, by the way, it was not something that hurt. It was just literally, I, lucky for me, it was close to the surface because it was really hard, like an uncooked garbanzo bean. That's exactly what it felt like. I was like, whoa, what's this? So anyway, to move on, um, so I thought, oh, good, I'm in the clear, everything's great. And then I had, right after, you know, my, I have a very great oncologist who said, I want you to have MRIs. You had breast cancer before the age of 50. You have dense breast tissue. We are going to have you have MRIs because they're a lot more, you know, they can, they can show a lot earlier than mammograms can. So I had a baseline MRI in July of 2005. I was just thrilled that it was behind me. Well, in March of 2006, I had a mammogram and I was fine. Again, remission. I was very excited. Four months later, in July, my first annual MRI. The first year had been a baseline. This was my first annual. And as anybody who's had mammograms and MRIs knows, what you want to hear is, nothing's changed. See you next year. Well, that's what, not what happened with this MRI, my first annual. They called me the next day and said, you have enhancements on the other breast, which meant that something showed up on the slides that that wasn't there the year before. It's exactly what you don't want to hear. So I had to go through many a needle biopsy and a this and a that, a long story. Bottom line was they found the, the MRI picked up very, very early stages DCIS, um, ductal carcinoma in situ in all four quadrants of my left breast, which meant there was no lump this time. It was very, very, very early. That's what the MRI detected. That's the good news. The bad news was it wasn't something I could just easily remove by taking out some tissue, just a little bit of tissue. So I went on an agonizing journey of deciding what there was to do. I, I knew right away it was going to be a mastectomy for this breast. And then, again, I don't want to take um, go into too much detail. I'm happy to do that offline with anybody later if somebody wants to email me but or call me. But I then chose to have a double mastectomy. And I had people, just like some of the controversy we're hearing regarding Angelina's choice, why would you have both removed? You already had radiation in that one. It's fine. And there were quite a few factors about that. And I'll tell you that one of the main factors, the two main factors, one, I never wanted to have an MRI or a mammogram again and go through what I had to go through with waiting for those you know, you, you don't have cancer or you do have cancer. See you next year or come in tomorrow. I never wanted to hear that again. It was the scariest thing in my life. And I would have to do that every six months the rest of my life. So I decided that was one factor to remove the fear, which I believe Angelina was doing for herself. And number two, I was going to have reconstruction of at least the one breast. Very difficult to have that look like the other one. And I'll admit it. I'm vain. I wanted to have my breasts look somewhat alike and to feel good about that and to feel well, good about how I it, look. I think it's a way, way you know, we, vanity, it's so interesting because language and words have such an impact. And Jamie and I jump in with these things because that's what the show is all about. And, you know, vain comes with a judgment. And what I really love about your work and why I wanted to invite you on the show, and Jamie agreed, is because you're an image consultant and you know how to bring out the best in women. And you really understand the whole conversation about sex and love and relationships and money and how all of these go together. And, you know, as a woman, uh, it's a very significant decision to make, to be told that you need to have a breast removed or to choose to have a breast removed because of the dangers or the like, it's like a time bomb that's on your body. And then if you're also looking at the aesthetics and how it impacts you, your self-esteem and your image, you know, why not use the best that medical science and technology has to offer to support you in feeling as great as you can about yourself in whatever ways you can? And especially now, I mean, in the past, there was a lot of controversy around silicone and whether it was healthy or not. And, of course, any time we put something foreign in our bodies, it can have a huge impact. Um, and having a breast that you believe is a time bomb that could go off at any time is also a huge impact. So um, I think that we are really clear that um, taking the, the judgment out of the decision and really looking at where there might be um, shame, embarrassment, guilt, um, like 
if, if it's coming from a place of vanity, what, what these words, what these emotions have in terms of how they keep us from being empowered. Jamie, do you have anything you want to weigh in about that? Yeah, I also think it's interesting just listening, you know, that um, it's such a deeply personal choice. And it's always interesting to me that people think they have the right to weigh in. Um, I think everybody has the right to weigh in on their own choice. Um, and it's one thing if it's a public person. But it's interesting to me, Karen, I'm just struck that people in your life, in your life weighed in on, you know, what your decision should be. And it's just, it, it, to me, you know, I just wonder if there's something about it being breasts and, the you know, the public image of breasts for women that people feel that then they have a right to weigh in. I'm not sure if that's really a part of it. Um, I'm sure it's a lot of concern, but it, it just amazes me because in the end of the day, we're each responsible for the choices we make and certainly the choices we make about our health care without any need for shame. Um, yes, thank you. You ladies well have touched you both just touched on about five things that I want to speak to. One <laughs> was, Emily, I want to be sure that, because you mentioned about silicone, and I just want to be sure that our listeners know that if they're choosing reconstruction, there are quite a few different ways to do that, including microsurgery, which involves a flap, or taking live breast tissue, well, excuse me, live tissue and blood vessels, and actually creating, um, molding a breast from your own tissue. So there's other ways to do it. If people don't want a foreign body, I have had friends well, that, who've done that. that. Way, I, and, and, and you've you've explained to me in the past that that way also makes it so that um, the breast actually um, behaves like a real breast. Like we'll, we'll gain weight, lose weight as you gain weight or lose weight. Like it's it's a quite an extraordinary advance in medical technology, isn't it? It's phenomenal, and it requires um, a much, much, much more extreme surgery. You know, it's a whole not. It's kind of like if you have a baby and have a C-section. This time yeah. you would be having your breast done and have a tummy tuck with it or anyway. So we won't go into that, but people can learn more about that if they should so unfortunately so, need to be making an unfortunate decision. Karen, hold this next thought. I know you have more things to, t- to respond to. Please make sure that you don't lose those thoughts. I want to make sure everybody knows that they're tuning into Wealth Psychology on Sylvia Global Media and you can email us your questions if you want to um, join in the conversation, but you can't call in at uh, info at wealthlegacygroup.net. And Karen, we have two listeners on um, that have questions and comments. Um, I I don't have names for you all, but if you um, if you're on the line and you have something you want to say or uh, weigh in on, please uh, join the conversation. Uh, one of you is in a 415 area code. We'll start with you. <laughs> we have, um, do you have something you want to say? Well, if you're on and you have something to say, speak up, and we'll let you join the conversation. Karen, do you want to weigh in on some of your other questions? Well, first of all, I, in just what I was just talking about, the flap, um, somebody responded to one of my blogs on my site, my breast cancer navigation site, and they told me about a new thing which I researched last night. It's called a Goldilocks mastectomy for large-breasted women. And it's, they take not too much or too little is removed. They use excess skin to create the just right natural implant using the woman's own skin. I mean, it's amazing what is happening. So it's important wow. for us to stay up to date on these things. I'd never heard of that until last night. So. Oh, and- um, we have the if the listener's on that has a five four one area code, you can speak up and join us. Oh gosh, sorry. We might be having some technical difficulties today. Definitely email us your questions if you have them at info at wealthlegacygroup dot net. And uh this is so important. So one of the things that I want to jump in here with, because this is a wealth psychology show is one of the big issues that I've seen in um, different lists and people's conversation online about this is money. And we're talking about some, some really advanced surgeries and approaches. And uh, one of the things that comes up is, well, yeah, if you have all the money in the world, you can do whatever you want. But, you know, what if you don't have that? So, um, you know, are these things 
is it a, is it a money thing? Is it if you have money, then you can get whatever surgery you want, um, and you can get these tests to know what you want? Emily, it's Karen again. Could I say something about MRIs and money? Please. <laughs> okay. The other thing, I think both Jamie, um, Jamie, when I, you were talking about your story, I was struck by how the MRI was able to find um, the culprit in you, and same with me. And so I called myself for years the poster child for an MRI, you know, for paying attention and for an MRI finding it. And I also was on um, here in the North Bay of, you know, in California, in San Francisco, I was able to sit on the advisory board for the Sutter North Bay Women's Health Center, and we raised the $1.2 million needed to buy the first breast-dedicated MRI machine in the entire Bay Area. Couldn't believe it. Stanford, Cal, UCSF, none of them had one. Now, if anybody's had an MRI, they know it's super scary. It's this giant machine. You go in to have your knee checked out or your shoulder the sweet spot, which is where they take the actual images, is inside this gigantic automobile-sized machine that's noisy and scary. The, the one that's just for breasts, your face, you go in feet first, and your face is right near the edge, and you can be talking right to the doctor or the nurse, and it's quite a huge, and it's comfortable, relatively. So MRIs tend to be very expensive. In, but here in the Bay Area, for those Bay Area listeners, you might want to, if you are somebody who didn't have money, for instance, you could, you would be able to, as long as you had the proper um, people referring you, you could have access to an MRI. Um, I know that friends of mine have gone to Mexico, literally, to have MRIs for knees, et cetera, because they can get MRIs for $150 to $300 versus $1,500. In my case, my doctor prescribed it because I was so high risk. And in Jamie's case, obviously, they needed it to find it. But I just can't say enough about MRIs, my own personal experience, of course. If you have access to it, I, and I know this is, yeah. Jamie? I agree with you, Karen. I also have dense breasts, and that's something that people can ask their doctors when they go in for their first um, mammogram. They can see and that information is in your chart. It often isn't communicated to patients, and I know that there's new legislation, um, and I believe that uh, California has adopted it, and there's also, I think, about eight other states in the United States that have adopted that it is, um, it is mandatory. I don't think it's gone into effect yet in California, but it will be mandatory to tell women if they have dense breasts and to offer them MRI as a alternate in um, in finding it, and I and I'm like you, I will never have a mammogram again because that is not um, an accurate measurement tool. And just for example, there's a great website called areyoudense.com, and you can see a lot of information about this. But one of the problems with a standard mammogram is that tissue shows up as white and a mask shows up as white. So if you have dense tissue, you're looking for a, it's like looking for a white ball in a snowstorm. It's white against white, and it doesn't give enough definition um, and differentiation. So women with dense breasts, it is not the proper um, diagnostic tool. On the other hand, an MRI, which is more sensitive, is also, more likely to have false positives. So you might come up with something that is very, you know, um, alarming that says when they, when I was doing my MRI, they saw something first in another place and then in another place and then in the, then in the left breast. So I ended up having to have biopsies on three other places that in the end weren't massive. So, you know, it's not a perfect science and there's still a lot of um, – trouble distinguishing, but in the end, I would rather have more likelihood and find something than to miss something. Great. Oh, so, you know, we we have a lot of listeners that um, are letting our producer know they want to weigh in, and I'm going to, again, I'm, I'm going to open up the airspace, and I'm going to just take a moment and see who it is that would like to um, weigh in with this conversation, and then I have a question for you all in terms of the emotional impact of this, because this show is about the psychology of wealth, and we're talking about the most important aspect of wealth in our lives, which is our physical health. Jamie and I often use the quote, nobody, nobody. And so this is an essential conversation. It's the cornerstone of our lives. 
So if you're on the line and you are from the 909 area code, would you uh, and you have a question or comment, I'm going to just give you a moment to see if you want to weigh in. Okay, how about somebody from 330? Oh, well, we know that you're on the air. We're going to keep trying. Um, if, you, if you're on, just say something, and let's see if you, if you um, have a question that we can capture. We are going to see how we can make it possible for you to talk, and in the meantime... Um, uh, Jamie and Karen, would each of you be willing to speak a little bit about um, some of the emotional factors that went into your decisions about the kind of um, choices that you made? One of the things that I want to do is first read what Angelina Jolie wrote in her op-ed piece in the New York Times. She said that my chances of developing breast cancer dropped from 87% to under 5%. I can tell my children that they don't need to fear they will lose me to breast cancer. It's reassuring that they see nothing that makes them uncomfortable. They can see my small scars and that's it. Everything else is just mommy, the same as she always was. And they know that I love them and will do anything to be with them as long as I can. On a personal note, I don't feel any less of a woman. I feel empowered that I made a strong choice that in no way diminishes my femininity. So she really spoke into her choices And we'd love to hear from you all in terms of your what what were some of the emotional aspects of the decisions that went into what you had to experience your fears your your doubts your your questions. Well, this is Jamie. I, I'll say something interesting. I was like Karen when I found out. You know, there was all this confusion about were there masses in both breasts, and um, I just got to the point where I'm like, let's just take them both off. You know, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to worry about it. And it was very interesting because um, both my, well, at that point, I was not dealing with my uh, chemotherapy oncologist yet. My, actually, I was. Both my chemotherapy oncologist and my surgeon both said, no, that's overkill. That's not going to help you in this instance, given the kind of breast cancer that you have. Um, and they real, they said, you know, it's your option, and if, if that's something you want to do, but they really advised against it. And I think what, for me, emotionally well, came up was... Jamie, Jamie, you're bringing up a really important point, that this is an incredibly unique disease for each woman, and that it's very important to gather the data about what's right for you. The fact that yours had already gone to a lymph node, you know, there's that you had a whole other set of circumstances around that. This is so important for women to get that they can be empowered to get the data about what's right for them that will help them overcome the emotions. So, yes, please talk about your emotions I agree. right now. And I think, you have to be, I think you have to be careful. I think that's a really good point, Emily, and I think you have to be careful. What I decided, and this was my personal choice, was that I was going to pick the best doctors that I could find and doctors that I felt that I could work with and had similar philosophies to mine, and I was going to do research, but there's a lot of research out there. And then I was going to come and bring it to my team and really trust my team. Because in the end of the day, I felt like I'm not trained as a doctor, and that's not my specialty. And I really trusted my doctors when they said, you're not going to gain, you know, it's not like Angelina Jolie where you're going to go from 87% to less than 5 You're not going to have any less percentage or more percentage of having cancer by having such a radical surgery. Um, and I think there's a certain point, at least, again, this is very personal for me, that I feel like you have to let go and, and trust and have faith. I'm having that now with my radiation. They had to decide whether to radiate both the lymph nodes that are under my armpit where they were, um, you know, where it was infected, but also under my sternum, which is very far away from where the tumor was and also then puts my, you know, my uh, left lung and my heart into proximity of radiation. And I could do a lot of research with it, but again, in the end of the day, I had to hope that, and I still hope that my doctor took the best information available and made the best choice. Um, so 
you know, I think, and, and you have to, what I found I had to watch with my emotions was not to let my emotions run so wild um, that I wasn't making smart choices, that I was shooting from the hip out of anxiety and fear. Um, oh, really well said. Yeah, anxiety and fear will often cause us to either go into head in the sand and not making any choices because we're so overwhelmed, or I'm just going to shut them both off because I can't take this. And it's so important to get the data. And this is really important. Um, uh, Karen, do you want to weigh in about your emotional um, aspects of what you went to? You said a little bit about it. Um, do you want have more that you want to say before we go on? Yeah, I do. want to talk couple about this. A couple of things. One, I want to say um, urgency. When you wrote, I just made a couple of notes while you were speaking, Jamie. And re- yes, it's, re- it's urgent. It's the most important thing for you to handle in terms of um, gathering data. But take the time. I know for me, I, I asked my oncologist, you know, did other clear margins, which means, you know, they, they got enough clear tissue around the original tumor when I had the lumpectomy. They always want you to start your radiation right now. I said, well, wait a minute. You got clear margins. You said it was a slow-growing cancer. What do you mean by right now? I want to think about whether it's the right choice for me. How long do I have really before you'd feel comfortable? She goes, you know what? Because we got such clear margins and you don't have spread in your lymph nodes, you don't have to start radiation for several months. Thank you. Then I got to actually heal, breathe, feel into it and decide if it was the right choice for me. So, um, Jamie, I'm really glad you used the word urgency because it's important to work, you know, quickly and smartly. And the other thing is in terms of best doctors, um, in my situation when I had the second time that, you know, when they came up with the second time, it turned out that I did not have to have my nipples removed. There was, I, I was doing this more prophylactically as well. There was no indication there was any cancer near the surface, but the surgeon that had done my lumpectomy, who I loved, she'd done the biopsies in the past, she did not know how to do the nipple-sparing surgery, so I had to find another doctor. And lucky for me, I had a fantastic oncologist who, even though she had no appointments available, was willing to, she said, why don't you call me at my home number? We spoke for an hour from home at 8 p.m. one evening, both looking at online together to do some research. Wow. And that was just, I was so incredibly lucky. And this and is so, so important because when you yeah. have your nipples spared like that, you continue to have sensation in your, your sexuality and your sensuality is no, um, no, 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 no level, that's, or that's, do you just still have No, your... no, no, that's not accurate. Not accurate, sorry. Okay. I had all of my breast tissue removed, but I got to have my nipples intact with respect to visually. But um, when your breast tissue and everything else in there is done, and I have, I, have, I have no breast tissue, which leaves me, by the way, I went from a very high percentage of uh, potential recurrence to less than 2%. Wow. So I can't and so this tell is, you that's how another, easy I rest that's with that. That's another significant loss that a woman is facing with a decision like this. And it was interesting because in Angelina Jolie's op-ed piece, she went into really specific detail about what her surgery involved. And the first step right. of it was to save her nipples, and she described how that happened. And, you know, what an extraordinary thing. And for women that have a lot of sensitivity there, and it's a really point of pleasure for them, and it's a very important part of their sexuality, that's a whole other component of what we're talking about here. And I want to make sure that we my, get the chance to talk about that. And my plastic, I want to try one more. I'm sorry. My plastic surgeon actually said that to me before the, before the mastectomy. She said, um, I want to just ask you, are your nipples a really important part of your sexuality other than visually and being a woman? And I said, actually, are they super sensitive? And in my case, she said, you're lucky because they're not, because it wasn't the biggest, most important thing for me. She said, that's one less thing you'll have to lose. Oh, yeah, that's a conscious surgeon. Wow. Very awake. That's great. So um, my producer says I should try again. And um, if there's a listener on the line from the 714 area code and you have something that you want to say, um, let it, let us know. Okay, good morning. Hi. Um, I, Welcome. Thank you. I haven't had to, um, I haven't had to make a decision like this, but I am a mother that's nursing. And just thinking about it, I mean, when I first, heard what the decision was, you know, that Angelina Jolie was considering, 
on the radio, I thought, oh, you know, like I didn't give it that much thought as to if it was me personally what I would decide to do. Um, but for the women that have had to do it, what is the difference and is there an option um, for having an implant put in if you have to have all of your tissue removed? If, you know, if having the appearance of breast is something that's important to you, is that an option that's available? That's a great question because there's a couple of different ways of responding to that too, right? So, Karen, could you talk about it from the standpoint of what's available if a woman has to make this really painful decision? And thank you so much for asking that. And um, and then also, like, do, do you all know anything about whether insurance companies support women in doing this or what their options are with this? Is it another thing that's elective and you have to pay for out of pocket? Um, well, Thanks for asking the question. Um, I was able to have, when I had my breasts removed, I was able to have implants put in right away. And usually you have to do with the way Angelina Jolie did it was they put in something called expanders, which means they want to stretch the skin to make it the size of whatever implant you're going to have put in. And I have to just put in a a little bit of a funny, uh, a lighter part of this, and that's that I had always had breasts that were smaller than I was thrilled with, but I wasn't going to go. I I didn't want to have um, a boob job, as they say. And by the way, 307,000 women in the United States in 2011 augmented the size of their breasts, having nothing to do with breast cancer. I thought that was an amazing statistic. So breasts are rather important in this society. And I had always wanted bigger ones, but it was... You know, not something I was going to do, but when I had the, had to have them, when I chose to have them both removed, my surgeon said to me, "So, what size do you want?" I literally, we talked about it once in her office, but I guess there she was with her surgical scrubs on. I'm lying on the exa- on the operating room table. I'm about to be put under, and she said, "By the way, what size did you want?" And I had been a B cup before, and I said, uh, "C cup, please." Literally, it was the funniest thing, and she, she, you know, indicated to a nurse to go bring her the such and such number of CCs filled with whatever saline. Anyway, it was a, it was funny, and I call them my booby prize because I've had to have several surgeries to correct, you know, so issues happen. It's not like you know, okay, you have one surgery and they're done. There's definitely issues that come up, and we every one of us has a unique journey. But actually, with me. I had some issues and then had to go find, my surgeon had retired and I found another surgeon who did an even better job. Two years ago I had them redone and I am completely thrilled. Nobody knows I've had breast cancer unless I tell them. I look fabulous in a, you know, in, in a low top and in bathing suits and I could not be happier. It's a bra size wow. that I wanted. And, and so for me, I, I think I look better, at least in clothing. I am thrilled. So that's a funny thing, isn't it? It is, and you know, thank you for saying that, and I love that you brought some humor to this because when we are stuck in emotions that have a lot of fear and distress, I mean, thank you so much for the caller who asked that, and as you were talking about nursing, my whole, my breast just completely filled up with all of this awareness, and my um, tears welled up, like I had such a strong emotional response of, wow, there's so many facets of us as women and women who are facing this decision that, you know, are looking at, wow, I haven't had children yet or or I was hoping to be able to breastfeed my next baby or um, that's not an option for me anymore. That's a whole other degree of loss that somebody would have to face. And yet to be able to be there for their children in the long term, you know, the weighing of those two is huge. Oh, we're getting some background noise. Is there a listener that wants to, to chime in? Like oh, well. running water. Yeah, well, one of the things that I want to say is using humor and getting yourself to laugh is one of the best ways to get out of feeling overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. So I love that you said booby prize, and I just think, you know, I, every woman should be thinking about that in terms of there are things to use which can bring you um, a sense of giggles, a sense of empowerment in the face of this, um, because... Uh, the anxiety and the fear and the overwhelm will really shut down our capacity to to feel like we can make good decisions for ourselves, 
and can often cause the whole journey and experience around treatment of this kind to be quite painful. And I think having that great spirit of gratitude and um, joy and playfulness and humor can really counteract that. And it's not to say that this isn't serious. And I think people forget that. They think, well, this is serious and awful, so I have to have an awful attitude towards it. Like, this has to be treated like it's a terrible, terrible thing. And, you know, what it is is it's an extraordinarily painful challenge that you have to face, and there's all kinds of things that you can bring to it that will fortify you. And, Jamie, you did something right early on that made a huge difference for me where um, I was over here in the States, you were in Israel, you got your diagnosis, and I went into fear and anxiety around my partner, you're so far away, and our, you know, all of the, the work that we have and the commitments we have in terms of our company. And um, you sent out to another website that I want to make sure all of our listeners know about, which is Lhasa Helping Hands. And you sent out a video that uh, is on YouTube, and it's a, a woman who's being treated for cancer uh, doing a, a lip sync version of What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. And then I found other videos of children doing that in children's hospitals. And it just warmed my heart, and it, I played it all the time. And it was one of those incredibly valuable things for me to shift my mood and my emotions around um, the diagnosis of somebody who I dearly love and actually have a strong partnership and relationship with. So, Jamie, has you found other tools that have really helped you in terms of dealing with the emotions of anxiety or fear and, and like that song? Anything else? Yeah, I, that song was also very pop, uh, powerful for me. And I want to say it's not only, I mean, you brought it up um, so poignantly, Emily. It's not only the person dealing with the cancer. I think sometimes as friends have told me, sometimes when you're in the process of doing it, you're not processing it as much until maybe you're done with your active treatments and you have a little space from it. But it's also the people that love you that are impacted. And, you know, you were incredibly impacted. I, the day that I got diagnosed, I was supposed to the next day go um, on a plane to San Francisco. We had a ton of book, uh, work booked together. We were going to be working for about two and a half weeks, so I had to cancel that last moment. And you really picked up the slack on that, so you were tremendously impacted. Um, I think the lots of helping hands, and there's also Caring Bridge is another um, website, are really helpful because they help to form community. And as Karen talks about on her website, it's so important to have people around you so you don't feel like you're alone. Um, and we have had so many people who – the outpouring of love and support is just, you know, the silver lining of all of this, um, people cooking for us. And, and it, the Caring Bridge and the Last Helping Hands are also a really nice way to let people know how you're doing because everybody is curious um, and you're tired. So it's really nice to be able, um, although, you know, maybe not the most personal, to be able to send out a group. Um, information or to be able to put down, you know, that you need ride for your son to get to, you know, for mine it was to get to horseback riding. So all of those things and knowing that the community is there to support you and friends and family make going through this so much easier. Um, I, I, I just don't know how I, w how I could do it without, you know, those, those support systems. Well, I, Red, I'm so grateful I for this. And I want to make – oh, go on, Karen. I just wanted to quickly say about that that what I did um, because I wanted to make sure that my husband um, and my was was fortified as well because he was going to be the primary caregiver because he was in the home with me, and I created a council of several of us, including a friend of mine who happens to be a doc, not a cancer doc, but she's a doctor and she could help read the pathology reports and friends to make sure that we were both being taken care of. And another girlfriend of mine who went through this one day a week, twenty four hour period a week one of us would go stay with her or help her out or whatever so that her husband could get away to the hot, to Harbin Hot Springs for 24 hours every single week. We made sure he did that. <laughs> it was really kind of cool. So, And I wow. also, Emily, I, I, I want to come back to it in a couple of minutes, but you wanted to talk about, um, like, the BRCA1 and 2 testing and how much it costs. I have something to say about oh, that, Oh, please too. do, yes. Yes, definitely, because um, that was the impetus for Angelina Jolie's decision was there's a test that you can have that um, – tell us a little bit about the test and um, what you know about it, Karen, and then um, 
you know, also I want to talk about the emotion around it because I think Jamie is waiting. Jamie, you're going to get your results on Thursday? Well, I was supposed to, but they're not ready yet, so I have to wait another three weeks. So, you know, the waiting. That is the most. Not Jamie, I is, feel for you, girlfriend. Oh, I feel for you having to wait. The waiting is just, just ugh. That's <laughs> the waiting worst. is tough. The worst. It's the worst, which is, as I said, that's why I decided to actually do double mastectomy. I could not wait ever again in my life for the results of a mammogram or an MRI if I didn't have to. That was where That was part of my choice. So um, anyway, I did have the BRCA1 and 2 testing, and I remember that fear of waiting and having to wait, and doctors by law have to tell you in the office they can't call you. So, um, And for me, I was negative, which bode well for my two sisters, meaning less chance for them to have breast cancer than if I had been positive. Um, my, all my doctors said, oh, yes, she must be tested, she's high risk, and they prescribed the test. Then my Blue Shield PPO plan said, we're not paying for it. I think it was $2,400 or something at the time. And I was in, I was so angry about it. And I called them and they said, well, we're sorry, blah, blah, blah. And I just figured out, I found out what I needed to do to speak to somebody in a compliance department or I'm not sure quite what it was called. But I remember I timed it. I was on the phone for two hours and either 20 or 30 minutes telling them my every single minutia, every single bit of my story, and here's the reason, and here's this, and here's that, um, of why they needed to cover this test. In other words, they needed to document all the reasons. I wasn't just somebody saying I wanted to have a test. And lo and behold, I won. They paid for it. So um, I guess what I would recommend to anybody who's listening on the call who has breast cancer or who might in the future or can support a friend with it who has it, um, it's good to document your whole story so that if you ever had to do something like what I had to do to quote-unquote prove your point, um, it's easy for you to just say, okay, and on March 1st this happened and on April 1st this happened. Um, so that yeah, and a, it's, a small point. It's also really good because um, memories can change and it's, yes. it's a really wise thing to have a, uh, like a notebook a or journal. some sort of journal that you have with you at all of your appointments because, um, you know, when there's a lot of emotion in the space, it can impact how much we hear, what we listen. It impacts our ability to ask questions in the moment. Um, I think a lot of people often recommend having uh, somebody go with you to the appointments that's not as emotionally impacted so that, you know, then you can compare notes and look at what they heard versus what you heard um, because our listening really shuts down when we go into anxiety and overwhelm. Oh, my gosh. We have so many listeners on this call, on this show. This is exciting. Um, I don't know. Is somebody else on the line that wants to weigh in? Um, somebody from the 808 area code? Oh, I'm not sure what's I think it's because we switched back over to um, Blog Talk um, at the last minute because we wanted to make it so people could call in that we're having trouble with the... Um, the production of having the listeners be able to come through. If you have a question that you want us to answer, please email us at info at wealthlegacygroup.net and we will get it on the air. And if we aren't able to, because the show only has 13 more minutes left, we will promise to get your, your questions answered on the Sylvia Global Facebook page. And you can post your questions there too. I want to make sure we cover it's on our website, Emily. Oh, you can go to our website, wealthlegacygroup.net, and you can um, you can uh, send us go uh, or contact us, and we'll do that. And we'll oh yeah, we can put it in our blog. We'll definitely put these all right, these we'll resources we're talking about, well. and we will answer your questions there as well. Thanks, Jamie. I want to tap into something that is on everybody's minds with this, and Karen, your authority on this with your body of work on sex and money and relationships. We're going to be focusing on the sex and the intimacy part. Would you speak a little bit about um, what the impact is emotionally for women, for couples, when uh, one of the partners has been um, uh, having to go through this? And is their sex life affected and in what ways by having mastectomies and what recommendations you might have? Um, well, when sex life is affected by Anytime one isn't feeling well, has to have a surgery, one's partner isn't feeling well. So, of course, one's sex life is affected by anything and everything. But then add in the fact that it's one's breasts and they're part of our sex life and a part of how we feel about our bodies. It's a big deal. I mean, to this day, when I 
make love. I can't say that I, I mean, it's sometimes I'm a little, still a little bit shy about taking off my top because it doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. It changes how I feel, you know, going to a hot springs where it's clothing optional. It change, so things do change. Um, that said, I think it's important to talk about it with your partner. And if your partner's a super, you know, if, if your partner is a guy who's super visual or he's, you know, really, breasts are really important to him, you need to keep talking about it. Now, in my, in my case, um, it's kind of nice having larger breasts because that's a visual thing too, it, it, you know, in clothes especially, as I was saying. But I think communication, Emily, I think communication is such a big part of our sexuality, especially when we're not 20 anymore and it's not all about raging hormones and the biological imperative. Communication and our minds and how we hold it. Oh, um, yeah, and I love... I mean, I'm familiar with Karen's body of work, and I love how you say that, um, you know, listeners, just for a moment, what do you think the biggest sex organ is that we have? And just for a moment, think about what that is. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that Karen, you really say that I love is, you know, what's the biggest sex organ? Yeah, the biggest sex organ is the brain, and it really is. It's it's really um, how we hold things. So if we feel good about ourselves, and I know for me, I feel... Um, really good about myself and my choices. I feel clear about that I've made all the right choices for myself. And my husband and I, you know, we, my partner and I talked that through the whole time. And we really were, he was really with me through the process. As we're girlfriends, as I said, I created a council for myself and I help people do that. Um, Emily mentioned I, I, I work with women. It's my way of giving back because um, my my own dad's a doctor, so I don't have a fear of the medical profession. But as you said, when it, you cannot maintain your sense of adulthood and maturity and subjectivity, objectivity when it's you. So I've learned to not go to any appointments by myself. I, I learned the hard way. Oh, it's routine. This is just a visit to the plastic surgeon. I ended up in the parking lot sobbing in the car for an hour afterwards because of some news I'd heard at that moment in time, and I was by myself. So I decided I'm right. Don't ever go alone, because it's crazy and it's it's just, just to, so to include your partner in it the whole time and, and talk about your fears about it. Talk to other women. As a matter of fact, my friend Barbara Musser has a website, sexyaftercancer.com. Oh, and that's she's doing great. wonderful work. Sexyaftercancer.com. Bar- Barbara's wonderful, and this is wow. she addresses this completely. She's here yeah, in the Bay is- Area as well. This is great. Wow. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show and responding to this. Jamie, do you have anything else you want to say? It's such an incredible gift to have you here. And, you know, I just I want to acknowledge you, Jamie, because you are right in the throes of this. And, um, I mean, this is a show all about the emotional impact of uh, wealth and, and money in our lives. And one of the pieces that we really bring forward is wealth. True wealth is much bigger than how much money is in our bank account. And we look at the whole... Uh, aspect of wealth in our lives in terms of our physical health, our emotional well-being, how our families are, our networks, and our money. And Jamie, you are right in the middle of this. Thank you so much for weighing in on this while you're going through this. And I can't imagine what this whole conversation has brought for you. And could you give some words of wisdom to our listeners in terms of what's helped you and supported you the most? Yes, thank you. It's it's definitely a roller coaster and an intense period. Um, I'm not sure if I have enough distance from it to know exactly what helped. I mean, certainly I, the friends and the family and people checking in and and being there and knowing, you know, letting me know how much I'm loved. Um, that has such a huge part. My partner has, you know, both my partners, my my husband and my business partner have been unbelievably, um, incredibly supportive. So that makes a huge difference. And, um, you know, I think it, it, it's, I, I think one of the things that um, wasn't helpful for me, um, a lot of people said at the very beginning, it's just going to be, a, you know, a tough year and then it'll be over. Um, and that was sort of my mantra for a while. And now as, you know, I get midway through um, and see, it, it really doesn't end. Um, it's, I'm sure that it's very different. It doesn't occupy the same amount of time on a daily basis. But there really is a new normal. Um, and I think that um, 
a big part of the emotion is mourning that old self, um, mourning whatever loss. I mean, I had a lumpectomy, but, you know, I still have lots of feeling under my arm and on the side. I don't know that I'll ever get that back. And I have two, um, you know, barely decent scars, you know, and a bald head. So, you know, that, that won't be there forever, the bald head. But, you know, whatever whatever happens through this, there are lasting internal and external scars. And you just have to really adjust to the new normal and to the new way of life. Um, and I'm really thinking a lot right now about how to do things a little bit differently so I have less stress in my life. Um, not that I think stress caused the cancer, but I certainly want to do whatever I can not to have it come back. So, well, um, I think you know, you I'm bring not up sure another, if that's a great answer, but no, those it's are a, my it's, sort of music. It's a great answer, and you bring up a couple of important points I want to highlight for our audience. One is um, one of the things that having a cancer diagnosis brings front and center, and that this conversation that Angelina Jolie has brought front and center for people who haven't even had that diagnosis is. What is the quality of my life? What matters most to me? Am I living my life in a way that really is satisfying me and that I'm making the most use of myself the best way I can? You know, does my life matter the way it is? Do, do I matter? Is my life really going the way I want it to go? It kind of brings those things forward. And I think what happens is we go into this reactivity and we focus on, you know, I'm seeing so many conversations about Angelina Jolie and, you know, celebrities this and other and it's like, no, no, use this as an opportunity to check in about yourself, what matters to you, where your values are. And, you know, I love that you want to look at, wow, how am I living my life and where do I want to decrease stress? I only have one life right now to live and do I want it to be as stressed as it has been and does it have to be as stressed as it has been? And Karen, I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about that and I think that this question about what is it that I'd be willing to do and sacrifice and uh, change in my life so that my longevity and my quality of life with the people I love can be extended is what this whole conversation is about. And I want to make sure that we have a moment to give um, some more resources at the end. Do you all have some, some closing things you want to say before I give our evocative question? Uh, Jamie, I, this is Karen. I, I just want to say that I'm really glad you talked about, no, it doesn't ever end. It's not ever over for me. Um, you know, I, I, it's just always there. It's always there every time I take a shower, every time I look at my body, every time I put on a bra, every time I, you know, it, it's always there. And, and there are, everybody has their own journey and complications come up and having to have them redone because of scar tissue or this or that. No one, no journey is the same as anyone else's. So, um and Karen, thank we have you each for, other. Yes, thank you for being here. And I love that you both have talked about your friends and tapping in. And Jamie, I know you had a friend go with you to your radiation today. And I think one of the things we as women have a hard time doing a lot is asking for help. And I think that that's something else that's a huge uh, opportunity and gift when you have a face with something like this, which is really reaching out and letting people support and help and um, engage and be a part of your journey with you. So with that, I want to make sure everybody gets our evocative question. If you knew you had an 87% risk of breast cancer and a 50% risk of ovarian cancer, and that by having a double mastectomy, you could reduce those risks by more than 90%, would you elect to have your breast removed? And I know that there are people in my life and in the world that would not do that, that have very strong convictions about what they can do naturally. And I want to make sure we honor those people as well. We don't have an agenda here about what you should do. We're just opening up the conversation so women can make really empowered choices and decisions. Uh, definitely weigh in if you want to on our Sylvia Global Facebook page, and we are going to be posting resources on wealthlegacygroup.net. Uh, Karen, do you want to get let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want to know more about your work and your approach to breast cancer and also sex, money, and relationships? Sure. You just breastcancernavigation.com is one website. The other one is sexmoneyrelationship.com. And um, you can reach me at Karen at either of those. Karen at breast Great. cancer relationships. 
breast cancer relationship. That's good. Yeah. Breast cancer navigation or sex money relationship. And I would love to um, assist any women who might contact me in either image consulting or talking about their sexuality, whatever you need. But especially for women that are dealing with, you know, their image around that. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Emily. Jamie, what a gift. Thank you so much for being here. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.